At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to this free episode of Hollinger and Duncan. I'd like to let you know that at Dunked on Prime, we've begun our mock off-season sale. This is a great chance to get a discount on an annual subscription to Dunked on Prime. And the occasion, of course, is our annual mock off-season, where Nate, Danny, Kevin Pelton, and myself, uh, we all take the teams in the league and uh, split them up and do a mock offseason, go through free agency. It's a great way to uh, get a sense of what the marketplace looks like. And uh, I'd say more than every once in a while, we we nail the the player and the team and the contract. Uh, so you, you can get a good preview of, of what's ahead. And it's a fun exercise, a, a way to really see what teams are thinking, what opportunities might be available for free agents. And it's not just the results of the mock offseason. It's you, you get a sense through the negotiations of how things could shake out. And so if you want to listen to that whole thing, some of it uh, could be available on the free pod, but to get the full mock-off season, the only way to do that is going to be to subscribe to Dunked on Prime. So like I said, we're going to have that discount going for anybody who wants to subscribe uh, for the mock-off season. You can do so at dunkedon.supportingcast.fm. It's dunkedon.supportingcast. FM. And of course, beyond just the mock-off season, uh, you're going to get Nate and Danny's complete play, uh, coverage of, of the actual offseason. You're going to get a John Hollinger and Duncan episode every week. Uh, you're going to get my daily dunks. You're going to get Seth Partnell's analysis. You're going to get Nate and Danny's uh, previews as we go into next season. You're going to get their coverage of next season as we go into that. So it's going to take you all the way through uh, next year's playoffs, right? This is where Nate and Danny really dig in and do, I think, I think personally, are at their best with their in-depth coverage of the playoffs. You can get all of that with the mock-off season sale. One more time, that's dunkedon.supportingcast.fm. Dunkedon.supportingcast.fm. All right, welcome on to a non dual conference final sweep edition of Hollinger and Duncan. We moved back to Wednesday thinking that we would have an NBA finals to discuss. We are not quite there yet. However, might not be for a little bit here. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you just look at the Boston Celtics home record over the last two postseasons, we got it greater than a 50%. (laughs) Fair point. Even Atlanta walked out of there with a W. So Dan pulled this for me, and I think it's interesting. We're kind of in uncharted territory here. We had only seen, up until this series, 19 times in NBA history, and a few of those were not the 2-2-1-1-1 format, in which the team without home court advantage went up 3-0. And on only four three of those occasions had the team down 3-0, even won one game, uh, which of course would be a road game for them. And then we've only seen one of those get to even a game six, which was a series you might remember, Orlando versus Boston in 2010. And Boston ended up taking care of them in game six, but it felt like maybe Orlando was going to come back on Boston, perhaps somewhat similar 
vibes to this series of that Orlando team was probably a lot better than this Boston team, frankly. But I mean, are you are you feeling anything different after that game? Uh, I felt a little bit, just because it, it almost felt like the 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 fairy tale dust Miami postseason kind of came came crashing to an end. I mean, their their offensive stats in this series are so crazy, and in that second half, they finally started missing some shots. Like Caleb Barton actually missed open shots, which he's been on this crazy heater the entire postseason. Um, And it looked like Boston got in the middle a little more defensively and offensively that they figured figured them out a little bit better. Now, is that narrative because they they won and they just were, were playing better at that time? Or did something really flip in that second half? I mean, maybe you could make the argument, which I'm not even sure I necessarily agree with, that Boston might have shown in this that they can play Miami evenly going forward. But Miami has three chances to win the series and uh, Boston has to win all three games. So I, I think in terms of the ultimate outcome of the series, Miami remains a very, very strong favorite to me. And that would not shift until Boston wins two more games, including one in Miami where Miami will go absolutely all out. So I I don't think that much has changed. Boston shot the shit out of the ball. Miami was 8-32. So certainly that could continue. Like in theory, the Celtics are the better shooting team. Although as Seth noted the other day, like a lot of this is Miami shooters, just like half of their shot making in the playoffs can just be explained by the fact that these guys are getting back to their career norms as shooters. So like, I don't, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll also say, I mean, part of the reason Miami missed is like Boston blocked a couple of three pointers. Like they were, right. they, 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 were they were much more present defensively uh, than, than I think at any other point in the series. Yeah, but are, do you want to count on Boston winning the turnover game 15 to 10 going forward in this series? The team with one of the lowest yeah. turnover forcing rates defensively in the league in Boston. Yeah, I mean they they have to count on other things. They they still have to they still have there. I mean, especially in the first half, I still felt like they weren't sharp defensively. It was really the second half. They, um, they still yeah. they still haven't figured out like when they put Jimmy Butler on one side of the floor and have four players on the other side. Like you can help off of that. Like I don't understand why they just <laughs> give him a side of the floor. Like it's. Like it's a 1986 NBA game with the illegal defense rules they had back then. Uh, that that's just wild to me. Yeah, I I thought they started to figure a little something out in Game Three on that. The, he didn't actually go to that that much. I thought they meant more to the Butler ISO up top with one guy on one side and two guys on the other side. But then Butler always goes to the side with the one guy who's a shooter. So they need to force him to the other side there. They they could do a better job there for sure. I mean, Jimmy hasn't had like that one ridiculous game since early in the series. Like he's, I mean, that's the thing, right? Like the Heat just need to get one more game. Like, and Gabe Vincent's injury is a little concerning to me, you know, but they're, they're, I think with the shooters they have and Jimmy, like Bam, they haven't really featured him at all offensively. He got in foul trouble in this game. Like there's there's enough here to get one. Uh I think pretty confident. I think the odds still favor Miami. If if you if your mindset going in was that Boston was a significantly better team though, then th- then I think you, you... Th- then you should have been disabused of that. <laughs> well <laughs> <laughs> Right. I, I mean like you could argue that too, yeah. obviously. I mean, there's the you know, the the 
Bayesian question of how did Miami win three of the first four then. Um, but if if that was your mindset, then you would not be floored for them to come back and win three straight with two of them being at home. Yeah, and if Boston had shown like more of a home court advantage, right? Like let's say Miami squeaks out game one, Boston blows them out at home in game two, and then Miami wins two in a row at home. I think you feel better about Boston's ability to come back than the, the Miami having already won two in Boston and Boston not having this significant a, of a home court. Um, and I also, I picked it this in seven anyway. So I thought it was going to be a relatively close series. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Boston, they found some stuff. It's taken them a while, but you know, Grant Williams has been effective and Tatum guarding Butler when they, they haven't switched out of that matchup has been pretty good and going back to the small lineup was the right call that's actually something that Spolster has in his back pocket is just not starting Kevin Love to go and, up against that small lineup at the and, start yeah it it does feel like those those are increasingly token minutes uh yeah. that are just I mean you know Cody Zeller's played more minutes in this series than Love has yeah 50 to 48 yeah although some of that was garbage time but still like because love's not gonna play there i think it's uh oh yeah the game the end, the end of game three a little bit yeah yeah for yeah. sure um yeah and the celtics they're not playing rob and orford together anymore like they're that just doesn't work as well against uh, this team because uh, rob they need a rob to stash somewhere out of the main action they can't really do that against miami um you know talk about the other series the lebron retirements uh <laughs> Nikola Jokic uh, probably cementing himself as best player in the world, although let's still wait to see what happens in the finals on that. Yeah, it's amazing because... Denver is just so good offensively that it, that it doesn't it doesn't matter that that Jokic can't protect the rim like it, it just it just becomes just not that big a factor um, and they've done kudos to them they've done a great job of surrounding him with enough length and athleticism that it's like okay there's there's one player to attack and it's and it's Jokic but if you do that they have a bunch of stuff where they rotate behind and they still have secondary shot blockers like it's not it's not just a cakewalk even when you do that yeah now I will say that they haven't had to play against like a dominant spread pick and roll team I mean you saw Phoenix maybe get to that and they were looking pretty good until Booker got hurt in game five but you know he and Giddy were playing at ridiculous level particularly Booker and the Suns don't you know they had to go to such a bad offensive group or defensive group to get enough shooting on the floor and they just didn't have yeah. the connectedness like like you know Minnesota Lakers like they're not going to spread out the Nuggets but you know who who is going to do that at the like I think the Celtics could like Miami would be an interesting test also uh but I will say Jokic absolutely passed the test against Anthony Davis I thought he might struggle in that matchup and uh that fat guy defense worked great uh, on Davis who kept trying to like bludgeon over a guy who is like has 50 pounds on him for some reason yeah yeah (laughs) I mean it's you know people complain about Anthony Davis uh being a pendulum swinger offensively where he has 31 game and 10 the next and I think the real thing there is that when you deal with somebody who two-thirds of his baskets are assisted, like he's he's just dependent on other people to get a lot of his offense. And so he's really almost the canary in the coal mine for how the rest of the team is playing. Yeah, and I, the Lakers also just couldn't shoot well enough to like t- take them out of some of their help principles. Especially, so it, it was, it, yeah, yeah, you really saw that in game four, I thought, that the, the Lakers, they need more shooting. I think Beasley not being able to help them uh, was a was a critical uh, negative development, let's say, because he could, the, the version that you maybe could have talked yourself into could have really helped them with some of their spacing issues. 
Well, and D'Lo also. I, I mean, he he didn't make shots. Uh, he, if he had played more, he probably would have knocked a, a few down. But the Lakers, and this is this is because of Denver. Like, let's not forget this, right? Like, they ran out of players in the series, and they had you know Den- they had to play Dennis Schroeder basically all the time. Otherwise, Murray was going to smoke them, and they had to play Rui. Like, they couldn't play Vanderbilt at all because they just weren't going to be able to score enough. Even though, like, I thought he was okay on Murray, and then you know they couldn't play D'Lo because of Murray either although again that's part of that's because of Jokic and then you know they couldn't put Davis on Jokic they got smoked that way because Jokic was just too good of a passer and was too good in pick and roll and they couldn't deal with the the Murray Jokic stuff so they found maybe like one or two alignments with like either Rui or even LeBron on Jokic and Davis guarding Gordon although then they put in Jeff Green and that messed them up in game three so it's like they had maybe like this one alignment that would work to slow down Denver adequately and that they could maybe play even with but then they couldn't score enough because they had yeah. Schroeder on the floor he can't shoot yeah or, or Vando and then they're just they were anytime they had to play guys who weren't like there were like six players who could all play against Denver's best groups then they were screwed too the thing about Denver this year that I really liked about them coming into the postseason was that a lot of their negative lineups this year were just bench units that are never going to see the light of the day in the playoffs when they're well, well let's that wasn't fate complete though right like michael malone i think he's coached a great playoffs and he's like, he's figured out he the eight-man rotation really yeah. down to seven almost because christian brown uh has been a real bit player here that that works for this team and this roster but when you looked at their regular season when they had their top six players out there the starting five and or bruce brown like any lineup with five of those six just smoked people and I, I thought that was a really positive thing for them heading into this postseason. Like they know what their what their what their lineups look like, and they and they can vary things at the two, three, and four. They can play Brown as a as a backup one, but it's like you know you're closing with Murray and Jokic, and then it's just pick whatever three guys fit the situation the best. Uh, you know they went to Brown instead of Gordon at the end of Game Three, and I think that wrong footed the Lakers a little bit. And then they went back to Gordon in in Game Four, and he he played great. But I I with those top six guys out there, they're just they're just really tough, and everything and everything fits. And they don't have to they, they don't have to like none of their guys have been played out of any series. They've just been able to go with this same rotation the entire playoffs. Yeah, other than Brown would be the, the only guy probably. Um, yeah, it, it's been pretty good, and we'll see what happens in free agency with Bruce Brown. He's he's going to be a fascinating free agent. But I think as you look back on Denver, and you congratulations picked them in the finals, you're 100% correct there. They were weighed down by some of these bench units. They were weighed down by, I mean, even there's some noises out of Denver that Jokic kind of didn't even want to win a third straight MVP, and they were just, you know, Jokic had this, like, calf issue towards the end, and, they, you know, they Nicole, sort of looked, I mean, yeah. One of the things about people relitigating the MVP award, like Nicola, no question, put it in cruise control the second half of the season to, to to get ready for this point. And I mean, props to him because I think one of the things we've seen in previous years is that he was exhausted by this time of the year, and he he wasn't at all this time around. Clearly, no, he played forty five minutes uh, in that game four, and he was. I mean, his his grab and go game actually, I thought, killed the Lakers too. But if oh, he you just back, punished yeah. them in transition. It was unbelievable and and I thought it really contributed to fatiguing LeBron in that in that game four the fact that he was just because Lakers don't mind playing fast but usually their version of playing fast is like LeBron gets a rebound throws a hit ahead pass to Davis like he's not having to run do all the running back and forth himself 
But him running all those rebounds back at them, like even if they didn't score, it just it just took so much out of LA. I thought. Yeah, and being a great defensive rebounder to begin with as well, because there's so many times when Davis goes for the offensive rebound, doesn't get it, Jokic busts out, and then with without Davis back, or they get into some bad matchups, again, like that was another one of these things, right? Like Denver, if you're just, you have like one guy out of alignment for your preferred matchups, even for a great defensive team like LA, and you're just kind of cooked uh, on that possession. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Going back to the prognostication, part of the reason I still had Jokic as my MVP was just the Nuggets. We talked about there being no great teams this year, and that was true except for the Nuggets when they had Jokic on the floor. You know, they had that 124 offensive rating, plus 13. None of the other MVP candidates were in double digits. And so, particularly now that Jokic is, you know, playing 42, 45 minutes a game at times, but you, you look at what Denver did, and, you know, I think there are some of the teams that I've become used to, like, kind of in the past, like, that could really, like, spread you out and were great offensive teams, maybe could have kept up with this Denver team or given them some trouble but like there was no one in the west who was good enough to do that this year in the end yeah and i thought the way they the way they spoke phoenix was pretty i know phoenix had some injuries which didn't help but i also think like like chris paul's injury initially helped them i thought just because it enabled them to play well it hurt them in the game too it hurt them in the game too like they could have won that game maybe if paul hadn't gotten injured like they didn't have a plan but i think after that yeah it did them yeah it's a in those games three and four where they won um and Booker obviously had to play out of his mind to lead them to those wins. And then they still, like, even even with, with the games Booker was having, it's not like they were winning by 20, right? No, that's true. I mean, that, and that should have been a, a, and probably was a uh, an indication that uh, Denver just kind of had, like, more outs of guys who could play better, whereas Phoenix was really maxing out in, in those two games. And, you know, maybe the, in a different world where Booker doesn't hurt his foot, which seemed to limit him pretty substantially, then... Uh, you know, the Phoenix somehow like manages to tough it out, but you know, they, they lost by 75 in the first half and six. So it's, it's tough to say that. <laughs> um, got any thoughts on like the coaching carousel at this point? I, I think we, I don't know if we've talked since doc got fired. Um, maybe, maybe we did, but you know, we're starting to get some reporting. looks like at least as of now, Lou isn't going anywhere. Uh, that could change, I suppose. I don't know if you've heard anything on that, but it, like, it's, it sounds like all these guys, it's just like musical chairs between all of them at this point. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a, a three-way trade, right? Uh, especially the, uh, you know, the nurse, uh, Budenholzer, uh, who's, who's the third guy in that triangle I'm blanking on. Uh, Monty, Monty, Monty Williams, Monty Williams triangle. Yeah, uh, it's kind of wild. Well, it might even be like a, a trapezoid. Yeah, let's see. I mean, let's see what happens here. Uh, you know, I set the over under at seven. We got six now. I don't know if we're going to get to seven. There was, you know, it looked like maybe there'd be a chance if Miami won game four. But I, I realistically, I, I don't think Joe Mazzulla is going to be fired even if they lose game five. Um, so... Is, is there one there out of the blue? Ty, Ty Lue's situation is still a little up in the air, but people I talk to seem to think he's going to get an extension there. And 
it's it's really interesting because I think you know these teams just got to a situation where changing coaches was the only thing left on the table. We've seen so many teams kind of paint themselves into a corner in terms of flexibility, where where they just don't have a lot of other options left. Like what what's what's Milwaukee's option? Other than running it back with a different coach right now. Yeah, well, and they've, they've got free agent questions with two of their, their top four guys. Extension for Drew as well. There's a, I mean, I think, so, So, I, but like kind of the, the thing that's so hilarious about it is like a lot of these guys that they're thinking of hiring just failed in nearly the exact same way <laughs> right, that right. the previous coach failed. So how do you like, oh yeah, yeah. like, well, we just had a playoff collapse under Monty Williams. Let's bring in Mike Budenholzer. And, you know, <laughs> you just, like, let's bring in Doc Rivers instead. Just yeah. like, it, so is there a possibility that some of these teams end up going with someone who's less proven, like go with a new head coach or, or that they go back to like a Frank Vogel type. Uh, I could see it with some of them more than others. I, I guess I, my instinct tells me that the nurse Philadelphia thing, given that they go back to, you know, the time with the rockets and Rio Grande Valley or whatever. I, I tend to think that might be how that one shakes out. Let's do this. We can talk about the candidates who have been head coaches before. Like Mike D'Antoni has been thrown in there. We could throw mm-hmm. Vogel in there too. Yeah. And and these four accomplished head coaches who got fired. Let's rank those guys for, you know, if you are a contender. Mm-hmm. And then let's rank the quality of these open jobs. Okay. Which one do you want to start with? Uh, let's, uh, let's rank the quality of the open jobs first. Yeah, so I got- think that's actually, that's probably an under-discussed aspect of this. So... All right, let's just go through what we got out there. We got Phoenix, we got Milwaukee, we got Philly, we got Toronto, and who am I forgetting? Uh, I'm forgetting the same team that you are. Oh, God, Detroit still out there. Uh, yeah, Phoenix, Philly, Milwaukee, Toronto, Detroit, and... Uh, and Houston got filled already, so that's it, right? Oh, okay, so there's... Yeah, you're right, there's five There's five open, yeah. I, I mean, I'll, hilariously, John... I, putting aside the personal indiscretions, I might have actually ranked Udoka as the top coach and who probably went for the second worst, the third worst of these jobs. Well, what's more hilarious is how about Quinn Snyder taking the Atlanta job, leaving his vacation in Costa Rica to take that and seeing these jobs come open in the summer. <laughs> yeah, well, I, but I, but he's he's got a lot of power there, though. I don't know if he would have gotten that. He has... He has some power. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure he has quite as much as I originally thought. Okay, okay. Well, I, I mean, I guess in any organization that has Nick Wrestler, there's only so much power. To get. <laughs> there's only so much other power to go around. <laughs> Is that actually true, by the way? I mean, I, I've been joking about it, and there's, there's of course, the, the article about it. But is he, like, really, like, the voice there, you think? I... <sighs> He, he's definitely a voice. Whether he is the voice, I think, is open to interpretation. Okay. All right, so, so let's get back to this here. we got Philly, Milwaukee, Toronto, Phoenix, Detroit. Detroit obviously last here, right? Or, or is that not obvious? Uh, I think it's, it's probably last. Uh, I think it's a tough situation because they're sick of losing, but they're not yet good enough to win. Yeah, and they got just a lot of bad players 
that they are expecting you to do. Like if, when you're, you have to both develop and win. That's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Also like that organization just has so many ridiculous moving parts in it as well. Like I, I don't trust Troy Weaver to really like understand what you can like, like what disparate aspects you bring together to actually make a team that will win basketball games other than just, you know, as much athleticism as possible. Yeah. So yeah. All right. That's last. We're in agreement there. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So we got Philly, Milwaukee, Toronto, Phoenix. I think Toronto is next to last, even though it could potentially be good. There's a lot of downside risk there, depending on what happens in free agency. Uh, You know you have an organization that's willing to spend and you have a good GM, so you have those things in your favor. But roster-wise, I think there's a lot of risk there. Yeah, I guess there's two things you're considering as a coach. One is your chances of winning, but number two is your chances of not getting fired. Yeah, because even if they like, even if they bring you know, resign Pirtle and bring the other guys back, it's like I think there's a lot of expectations on a team that was just sort of half good last year. So it's it's still it's still a tough job. Yeah, and you just have all these issues too. With like, I mean, Van Vliet just might not be back, and Gary Trent Jr. They're already reporting that they're probably going to let him go, and OG is one year left. Siakam is one year left. Like, there's a, a lot of inflection point here. There's this expectation in the organization that like Scotty Barnes is going to be this incredible superstar, and if he doesn't become that maybe you get blamed yeah Uh, but yeah but they're probably if they rebuild it might almost even be better for your job security yeah absolutely but i mean they i mean they tip their hand by trading a 2024 first round pick right like they're they're (laughs) they got to try to win this year and i'm not sure they really have the roster to win a lot yeah top six protected pick uh so, so yeah, I mean, I think you're, you're probably right just because I don't see how this group gets into championship contention anytime soon, unless there's just a trade for the next star. They, but they just haven't really seemed to be like that fired up about making that kind of a move. Like they seem to yeah. just like really believe in their guys. Um, so Philly, Philly, Milwaukee, Phoenix is left. To me, Phoenix is clearly the best of those three jobs. I agree with that, um, at least in the short term. For the next two to three years, I think it is. You have prime Devin Booker. You have KD still playing at a high level. You have Aiton or whatever they trade Aiton for. You're not going to have a whole hell of a lot else, but you do have an owner who's willing to spend at least. So I, I think it's. I think that's probably a good job for the next two to three years. I still think like feet. Phoenix could realistically win the West next year. They could, right? They, they could also win 43 games and lose in the first round. But, I mean, it's wide open enough. And you look at what they have at the, at the top end. They gave Denver more of a fight than anyone else did. Like, sure, that, that's a good job. The bigger thing even to me than that, I, I'm not sure that I would say I like Phoenix's chance of winning a championship with the current rosters better than Milwaukee or Philly, but Phoenix has their two best players under contract. And yeah, you mentioned there, there's an owner who's willing to spend like they're as, as long as those guys stay healthy enough, like they're going to be solid. But to me, like Milwaukee and Philly are in a lot of flux. Like I, I think you've got a decent chance of a silencing occurring in either of those two places. Uh, less so in Philly. I think, I think yeah, even I if, even if Harden leaves, if Harden leaves, you have a lot more flexibility. You still have Maxi there. Um, you still have Embiid. Like you still have a good team there. Uh, I I would worry less so about that one. Uh, Milwaukee, however, where you're you're 
two years out from Giannis's free agent year now. That, I mean, that's the thing that really has to worry you. Well, and just like Middleton and, this, and this, Lope, like not only, yeah, sorry, go ahead. And the state of the roster, just the age of everyone. Um, you know, this is really like between Giannis and Holiday, like really at athletic team at their peak. And you, you worry about how that's going to go as these guys get in their thirties. I think Middleton was nowhere near his former self this year already. Um, uh, you know, we'll we'll see what Brooke Lopez can be in his mid to late thirties, but it's getting to be an old, expensive team, right? Yeah, and and no real way to improve the roster at, at this point. I mean, I guess they could trade now. Yeah, I guess they can just trade one first round pick still at this point. So yeah, not not a ton you can do there. Um, yeah, I certainly I'm asking in the interview process with both Daryl and John Horace, like, hey, what's what's happening in free agency here? I think if Milwaukee, if you guarantee me that they're bringing the same team back and they try to build in or, around these guys, maybe they make a trade with that first. I, Milwaukee is also looking at, like, second apron hell pretty quickly yes. here. Yes, And so that, that like, but you don't face the higher tax rate and the transaction restrictions. You just lose the mini mid-level if you go over it this year. So maybe there is kind of with the box a last dance sort of feeling. They bring everyone back on what they hope are tradable contracts. And then if it doesn't work out, then everything just gets broken up after that, which is, is not great, but you at least you have a chance. I mean, it's Milwaukee, I think, can. I mean, they fired the coach for a reason. Like, they could be a lot better next year, though I'm not. I, I, it's kind of tough. to. I don't know if Giannis gets better. Like, it's tough to see who's going to be so much better next year. Um, and, and then Philly, of course, has the Harden thing. Right, so, so what do you think? Philly or Milwaukee for number two? I think I think Philly. I think, I think Embiid has... I, it's weird saying this about Joel Embiid, but I, I, I trust his next couple years to be at an extremely high level a little more uh, because he's less dependent on just overt athleticism and has more skill to his game. And then I, I think, I think even if Harden goes, that you, you have another guy in, in Maxi who can take some of that off offensive responsibility, and you're. Your cap is a lot cleaner at that point, especially once Harris comes off the year after. Like I, I still think there's a lot of options left on the table for Philly, if, even if Harden leaves. I would say I like Milwaukee's chance of winning a championship better next season, but I like Philly's next four years more. Yes, than Milwaukee's. It's just it's like impossible for me to see how they reload. And uh, so, you, I mean, people are talking about Embiid potentially like wanting out if Harden leaves, and you know, they're kind of have to go into a little bit of a gap here next year. They'll still win fifty games if everyone's healthy, but you know, it'll kind of look more like the twenty two season did before they got Harden potentially. Um, but I mean, I'm also more of a believer and Daryl to just kind of figure things out than I am John Horst. Yeah, it's way because you're betting on the front office to get you the players too. Yeah, and Embiid has three years left on his deal guaranteed. Giannis has has two. Yeah, I guess I would probably say Philly, particularly more in the long term, is what you're looking for as a coach. Okay, that was interesting. Um, I wasn't expecting that we'd go in that direction, but, but that was uh, <laughs> that was fun. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. 
let's talk. You want to just talk about kind of the overall playoffs? Now we got almost all of it in the rear. Oh, did you want to rank these coaches? Which ones we'd actually oh, hire? Yeah, I complete. I completely forgot. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, that's what we do best on this program. Well, here let me let me actually let's call up our our coach rankings here. Okay. Mine. I think we were pretty similar because all these guys were in the NBA. Let's just roll through it. We'll have some changes. Uh, I had Mike Budenholzer as my number three coach. Some of these might change. Monty Williams as my number five coach. Okay. Nick Nurse as my number seven coach. Doc Rivers as my number nine coach. And that's that's everyone, right? And, and Vogel, I ranked you know kind of in the in the ten low teens before yeah. he got fired. I would say of these guys, for these teams that are trying to win this year, I would probably go with Monty, and if and then I would probably go Nurse second, just because they 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 know what they have as far as the regular season, and they need somebody who can be a little better for them in the playoffs. And I, I think like with these teams like Philly and Milwaukee, especially. I, I just I just don't know how you could turn to like a, a Bud or a Doc in their situation. I mean, they, those are the two teams that got rid of him, obviously. Um, so, but I I think I think Monty is interesting. I, I know he I mean he was throwing shit at the wall a little bit in, in Phoenix's playoff run, but also he was toggling between a bunch of bad bench options and actually landed on something that at least briefly got got them he, out he of the mire. He, he landed something. He landried on something. <laughs> <laughs> that that at least briefly got them out of the muck there. So I I I think he might be my top choice. I would I also go nurse. I think nurse tactically in a playoff series has shown he can be really good. Uh, it's just over the over the course of the season is more the question with him. I think to me nurse has to be number one here because you're like Monty doc and bud all just failed in the exact same ways that the incumbents failed. I mean, maybe bud, you can say it's not necessarily like an emotional collapse. Like they're not just like getting fucking blown out, uh, in the same way. Yeah. Uh, like bud and Phoenix, that, that wouldn't be crazy to me because you just said like their problem in Milwaukee always was that they couldn't score and then that they didn't adjust enough defensively, but that they had a great defense. Like Phoenix is never going to have a great defense with this group unless they can make some trade for like a real defensive center with Aiton. But you're never like, like for Phoenix, you're never going to be like this lockdown defense. About it, I don't think like you just, there's no way to improve the personnel enough to get there. Yeah. So you got to kind of just, yeah. Could you, but in, Okay, but in Phoenix actually is interesting because can he get them to shoot more threes? Which he's he's shown he yeah. can influence right, which is one of Phoenix's weaknesses. And then can he get Aiton to master a drop coverage, which he had a lot of success with Brook doing that, right? Yeah, you know that is an interesting point that he did get guys. He's gotten guys to really improve, like defense, like Paul Millsap wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, I think he still sucks, but okay. <laughs> uh, he's better than he was. Uh but yeah, like Brooke Lopez, Paul Millsap, like nobody thought of him as being good defensively, and then he gets with Bud in, in Atlanta and all of a sudden he's fantastic there. So he got Giannis to to another level. So like maybe that is now they're probably just gonna trade eight. <laughs> so but but they probably get some other center back for him, you would think, who's not as good, uh, but also can but but yeah, because Bud, I think he can just he can find a defense where and Money did this sort of too, but he can find a defense where you can kind of just be good enough, take away the easy stuff, be competent, and 
then you just are uh you're you're able to outscore the other team now like Jokic is such a different a different challenge than basically anyone else has ever been like kind of in the same way that Steph was where you just all the normal defensive principles that you have like okay you know we're gonna we're gonna play a drop coverage and it will force into more but like just you give the ball to Jokic and it's just like you can't deal with stuff in the same way like all like the challenge is just so different strategically but I think yeah you know you just gotta hope to outscore him so yeah Bud and Phoenix actually wouldn't be that bad to me but I, I still think Nurse because of his playoff resume which was sullied a little bit in 2022 but I think with a veteran smart team like he would he would be really where is uh where is Vogel in this you is he uh i think he's in there somewhere um i would probably choose the other guys first why but i mean but he's had success like to me he has like as good of a resume of any of these guys like he was mm-hmm. coached re- a really you know an under talented pacers team to like being a contender and then i thought he was really good in la he kind of you know lost the locker room but in maybe the hardest locker room year that any coach has ever experienced like bringing in russell westbrook and having absolutely no other players yeah uh, besides him ad and lebron and those guys being injured and stuff and like you know i guess lebron was sick of them but you know that's that'll happen with lebron and coaches like you know i thought he coached pretty well in both of his playoff runs in la it just seems like he he yeah i know he sucked in orlando but like that was a pretty miserable group that he had there too and with uh some unrealistic expectations probably yeah i don't like there's just he he just somehow is like not considered like a prime candidate like they're talking him like taking an assistant job in dallas at this point wow well i mean that that could be a a good long-term strategy (laughs) (laughs) but i digress so, so give me your give me your final rankings here. I'm gonna go Monty. I guess I'll go Nurse over Bud. Then I would probably go Vogel and then Doc. Yeah, for specifically for these openings. Yeah, like I I love all these guys for teams that are you know would love to be losing in the second round of the playoffs. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, but they all pretty much other than maybe Toronto have a, a higher aspiration at this point. I mean, it, like if I I would actually think you know, any of these guys would be fantastic in Detroit, but it doesn't seem like they're going that way. They're they're they seem like they're going for like the first time head coach. I approach. don't I, think yeah. Detroit thinks any of those guys would take the job. And they probably wouldn't either. Like yeah. they, they have enough stature that they're just like, I don't want to go into this shit show unless you're going to give me like a bunch of control. And we've seen that play out in Detroit already with Sam and Gunny. They're not going to do that. Again. Yeah. My ranking nurse, bud. I think I actually would go Vogel and then Monty and then doc. I, I just, from, from an emotional standpoint, I, I like, and this wouldn't even necessarily be like my overall coach rankings because mm-hmm. of what these guys have done in the regular season. They have a, a very good resume in the regular season. I mean, but I, yeah, I, so I like if, if this was the Wizards job, we'd be talking differently potentially. But you're saying for these aspirational teams that sort of know they're going to make the second round of the playoffs and then that's when their season starts. Yeah. All right, what else do we need to talk about here? Can we just talk about like kind of what's happened in, in the rest of the playoffs here? Yeah. Should we eliminate a team playoffs? from the playoffs? <laughs> I think the uh, the Denver Nuggets are taking care of that. Okay. Uh, who's your playoff MVP right now? Only two reasonable candidates. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I think it's got to be Jokic. I, I understand the case for Jimmy, but I think I, 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 I think he's actually had more help offensively with, uh, with all the crazy shooting that Miami has had. And I mean, I disagree with that. Like, like, 
Yeah. When you, what Jokic is doing is historic. I mean, Jamal Murray just had a 50-40-90 series and averaged 33 points a game. Okay, fair enough. I think it's very close because I think that uh, Butler has faced a lot better competition than Jokic has. Well, in two now, of the three injured, rounds. Yeah. Uh, I mean, well, if you want to say Milwaukee, uh, New York's a lot tougher competition than Minnesota. If you're going to say that's the worst team that Miami has faced. In Miami, I'm not, I mean, Jokic, Jokic was going against Gobert, though. Like, that's, you know. Well, I'm talking about just in terms of, like, how good the team is. Yeah. And, and like, vanquishing a, a, a team overall. I, I would say it's, I don't, I think that all of the teams that Jokic has gone up against have been, like, pretty flawed. And now, I'm, it's, that's moving the goalpost some because I picked Denver to lose to two of those teams, which obviously was completely wrong. And I certainly will say that I, I underestimated Denver's defense in particular, or maybe overestimated the offenses of these other teams. Uh, but of course, part of the reason and this is a point that Adam Maros I thought made really well after last year's playoffs was that when Denver has their whole team they force you into having to play your defensive players and then all of a sudden your offense can't kill them as much right so right. which was which was not like you know Jordan Poole killed them in last year's playoffs and like Jordan Poole if they'd gone up against Denver this year would have been playing three minutes a game and fouling out so yeah I, I mean I think you could go either way they've both had just like these unbelievable games I, I think though just Jimmy like Jokic hasn't had to do it again like Milwaukee and Boston were considered like the two best teams going in yeah to the playoffs yeah. like easily and there he's probably gonna have beaten both those teams. and a very good New York team that like completely destroyed Cleveland which was like you know second best net rating in the league for this so I, I let me let me look at like their full playoff stats here and the final position i mean i guess Jokic will probably be the the guy there but and, and Jokic has a, a team around him that is was totally healthy and is able to you know just had a more talent than my i would say he's a big part of that of course too but like butler i think has elevated his team uh to a level that would just wasn't anticipated he also gives gives you more value on defense Jokic obviously is better on offense yeah i don't know any, anything else on this let me see if i can give you their full stats here yeah i mean but uh, Jokic is going to kill it completely in, in this and and i do think Jokic is, is a better player than butler as well overall so Jokic, 62 percent true shooting in the playoffs actually down quite a bit from uh where it was even uh, last season in the playoffs and obviously during his regular season uh you know the assists have been crazy uh, so he's, Jokic actually not that much more efficient only two percent better true shooting and pretty similar usage actually between these guys too yeah so the 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 actual the the uh the counting sets are actually not as different as i might have expected yeah all right i, I i'm gonna go with butler for right now okay okay we'll see yeah i mean because you know, he if, could also yeah if we're doing an all playoffs team so we could add three other guys to this roster jamal murray on that at this point i think i think he i i was just looking at this i think it's booker i think it's anthony davis and then the last spot is either murray or tatum and I think I would probably lean Murray at this point. So Jamal Murray, 60% true shooting, 29 usage. His job is made so much easier by Nikola Jokic. So he had that huge run, obviously, in game two when Jokic was off the floor that, that kind of won them that game. But he has has still been pretty inconsistent. He's was better in the Lakers series, had that incredible run. But he, he can sort of afford to like go on these crazy runs and like disappear for a little while. And they have so many other things that they can do. And, and I think Booker in particular, like until he got hurt, you know, that's part of this, obviously. Murray has played more games. Yeah, I would still have to lean Booker over Murray. Who else did you say? So I had Booker, I had AD, and then 
for the last spot, I came down to Murray and Tatum. Tatum obviously had that monstrous game seven. Has been kind of disappointing in other spots, though. Yeah, he was big at the end of that game six as well. But, it, I mean, that's another yes. guy who's just been, like, totally inconsistent. So is AD, by the way, at least offensively. Defensively, he's been more consistent. Yeah, there isn't really another great candidate at this point, though. Paul Reed? Yeah, they should have played more in that game seven. They, they could have kept it within 20. Undefeated uh, as a playoff starter. Get, check out this. Playoff PER. Joel Embiid, 20.2. Paul Reed, 20.3. 20.2 playoff PR for Joel Embiid is pretty terrible. That's disappointing, right? Yeah. Particularly for a center. Yeah, I think the, the given what Murray is, I think it's got to be Booker. I, I would probably say you got to go Murray ahead of Tatum here. Yeah. And Murray was doing it against a pretty damn good defense, too, in, in that Lakers series. Yeah, I, w- I would say Tat- Tatum can change that with three more wins. Anything that, you, in terms of coaching, anything that's kind of stood out to you? Well, how do you feel about the, regardless of whether it will actually happen or not, what do you think of, like, the calls to fire Joe Missoula at this point? Uh, I think it's it's rash, and I think that because if you hire, if you hire a first-time head coach, you have to know that first playoff journey is going to be bumpy. Like, you have to know that going in, if you have any sense of reality at all and so to have that happen and then fire him over it especially when like he's got a pretty thin bench in terms of assistant coaches there too now um yeah and i i I thought that would have been a total overreaction and almost like a repudiation of their initial confidence in him and it just it just and I, I don't think that would have been the right move because I, I think in general he's been pretty good this year. There's been things that I could quibble with. You know, maybe he played his guys too many minutes early in the season. Maybe he should have been quicker to not uh, deep six Grant Williams from the rotation. But, like, I I, I think he's he's actually, like, he's he's on a really even – Keel, I think he helped them some with some things offensively uh, that got them unlocked a little bit compared to last year. Like I, I mean, certainly as a young coach, you look and say he's definitely one of the most promising ones, right? Yeah, I guess I just the question for me. I, I have two questions on. Mm-hmm. Number one is have the players just like lost confidence? In if that's true, you sort of. It's hard to bring him back. Uh, and, like, I agree with you. Organizationally, they committed to him. They believed in him. You can make all these uh, excuses for him, which are completely valid, by the way. All the thin bench, you know, just started the training camp. And there also seems like this idea of the, the players, you know, some of the reporting, like, the players just were, like, pissed off the organization for firing Udoka, and they never understood why that was. And I, personally, I believe that the Boston Celtics have handled that situation as well as you possibly can from an HR standpoint. I mean, the players see Udoka get another job and they're like oh like how, he's, he could get hired somewhere else like why do we need to fire him but like it doesn't work that way like you did something in this organization that the organization can't tolerate and so like that doesn't mean he should never work again but it also like you can deserve to get fired from one job and still be able to get another job like that's you know there are internal dynamics of like and not yeah. tolerating this sort of behavior like you can't just not you know i mean maybe maybe would a six-month suspension and then he's back would that have been better like i, I 
don't know. But anyway, so but so the idea of like whether they've kind of lost, he's kind of lost this team or not. And hey, if they get blown out again in game five at home, you know, that could change things once more. But the other question though is just what would be the best thing for the Boston Celtics moving forward? Not, oh, we did we commit to him? Like, not, oh, is this understandable that he did this? Not, does he deserve these excuses? Just, is Joe Missoula going to do a better job than someone else that you could hire? That's the question. What, what do you think the answer to that is? I'm not sure any of these guys that are out there give you enough assurance of that, that that you that you go ahead and make the decision and have your fourth coach in four years. Like I I I don't I don't none of these guys who are out there are at a level where I'm like, yes, you definitely pull the trigger. Also, it doesn't seem like with their organization that bringing in because they they still do have some through lines with the way they want to play from Stevens to Udoka to Missoula and a group that has kind of built up an identity that has worked pretty well if you're going to go to a Mike Budenholzer or something there you're it's just a complete departure from kind of what you've been doing yeah there just isn't as much continuity uh, and I do think that 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 is kind of important so I don't know that I would move on from Missoula either at this point and it's and there's been this feeling that he's like you know been pushing all the wrong buttons and he doesn't like call timeouts so he did that in game four he's too slow to adjust and like you see the, the much has been made of like horford and smart like sitting in the coach's chair and like addressing the team so ultimately we don't know the internal dynamics if it's just like if every player comes and says like hey i don't want to play for this guy like all right probably got to make a move but absent that i would i would continue to just try to build around him uh and you know get some more experience uh, on the bench yeah i think i think you hit on something important where it's almost like a personality change for Boston if they were going to make that move. Yeah, and I don't think that you want to, like he showed enough to me that I, you wouldn't want to like bring in some other first-time head coach. Right? Yeah. Yeah, we're going to replace him with Charles Lee just to do something different. Yeah. And just to, I think, organizationally, just to reset, like, all right, he's got a whole offseason now. We've got a staff that we feel really good about. And this feeling, you know, this pining for the relationship you were in previously with Udoka among the players will have dissipated. He's coaching somewhere else now. You just got to get over it. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Any coaching that's like really impressed you? I mean, we, we've sung the praises of Eric Spolstra like crazy, but I, I think Malone really, uh, to me, has coached. I, I got, it's hard for me to come up with anything that he has done poorly in his playoffs. At this, and when your team's this dominant, that's not a surprise, I suppose. Yeah, I like I said, they they they're just able to play their guys and win and and run their stuff. Like they nobody has really forced them to adjust that much to me. And even when even when teams have gotten to the stuff that is that is sort of worked, it's it's never really put Denver on the ropes. Like even the one adjustment to put okay, we'll put Hachimura and we'll have you know Davis help off him. They really solved that in Game Three, I thought, uh, when they put Brown by in for not Gordon. playing Aaron Gordon by yeah, not playing right. Aaron Gordon. Like that was that was probably his biggest adjustment of the playoffs was 
not playing Aaron Gordon in that fourth quarter and keeping Bruce Brown out there. Uh, well, yeah, it was, it was probably actually Jeff Green, I would say, who was, who was replacing. But yeah, they had Brown out there also. Uh, but yeah, having just Jeff Green, it's not even like Jeff Green is some great shooter. Like, I, I would say that, and also I would say, like, finally actually get, getting Aaron Gordon to, like, space out and shoot some threes in game four was big. Yeah, well, absolutely. I think, because I, I think most of the time their instinct is to have Gordon crash the basket because they feel like he'll have the advantage on on whoever's matched up against him but when when Anthony Davis is roaming the middle that that's not the thing you can do so when teams play a 4 on Jokic and have the 5 looming i think that that was the one kind of key adjustment for Denver tactically that they that that they can't have they can't have Gordon around the rim in that situation uh, I think they also realized that they could run side pick and roll with Murray and Joker and just keep the other three guys on the other side of the court and just get whatever the hell they wanted. Yeah, or, or I mean, side pick and roll, but you know, I mean, they have so many options out of that handoff. Yeah. All that. I mean, the, the, the other thing that really just caused a ton of problems for the Lakers was Murray setting the back screen for Gordon and then popping out uh, off the handoff for, from Jokic and interacting off that. I mean, when Murray is shooting the ball incredibly well, like you're dealing with that Jokic-Murray handoff game, I mean, the, the Lakers were able to do it for like very small stretches by putting LeBron on Jokic, but it was a, a Herculean effort required from LeBron at this point in time to do that i mean really at any point in his career would have taken a herculean effort so uh yeah i mean i would say he was a little slow to adjust in the aaron the aaron gordon adn aaron gordon thing and just in terms of like where gordon was going to space like just finding some counters to that but they still were able to win games anyway and then i thought in the phoenix series the adjustment to like the double pick and roll just like keeping having kd's man just uh, gordon prevent uh booker from using the screen keeping all that on one side like that was really the one action that has caused them problems defensively in these playoffs they, they dealt with that so I, I think yeah he's hit the right buttons in terms of who to play at the end of games and having uh having Nikola Jokic uh cures a lot of your offensive bills yeah he, he's a guy who will make you look smarter for sure oh I wanted to ask you what you think of the whole LeBron possibly retiring Lakers offseason stuff it feels a little bit more like a threat um you don't really know what's going through his mind and the frustration of a loss. You don't know what's going on with his foot either. I don't know if they're going to tell him he needs surgery and what that might mean for next season because that could have implications that way too. Uh, yeah, I have no idea what that surgery would be and what the recovery timeline would be out like a foot tendon. Yeah, and it really, it's really messes with the Lakers' plans until they know because... Right now, I think you're trying to build a team that theoretically has LeBron on it and is ready to win next year because the Lakers, I mean, give them credit. I mean, it was um, a little bit the arsonist fireman, but they, I mean, they pulled themselves out of the wreckage of the Westbrook deal and got themselves to the conference finals. And even though they got swept, I mean, this was a, this is a competitive sweep, right? Like there, there have been gentlemen sweeps that were much more one-sided than this, right? Yeah. And there's some things they could have done that, you know, maybe this was more like a, a five, six gamer and, and they just, you know, their worst shooting game happened to match up with Denver's worst shooting game. They, I, I thought they were just a little bit too slow to get to the AD on Gordon strategy, the little bit too slow to bench D'Lo. Like th- there were uh, certainly t- some, uh, some issues there where you could have seen the Lakers winning some games in the series. Yeah. Um, uh, th- yeah. They 
were they were never going to win the series, but they they could have extended it. And so you, so you just feel like maybe you're not that far away actually with this team. That if you can get some more shooting, that you got your cap in a pretty like halfway decent place now, where you re-sign Reeves, re-sign Hachimura, you use a mid-level maybe get get some shooting. Like you you have some optionality that you didn't have before. But if LeBron doesn't play, none of that matters. I think, and this is just from watching the video of, of the presser, my guess is just that it was the emotion of the incredible effort that he put out there. I mean, it was it was breathtaking, like, how much he was trying to give. And at 38, he just didn't quite yeah. have enough at the end of that game four. And going all 48 minutes and, like, that. I, and Dan noted that he's kind of, like, been in his feelings before or after playoff losses and just for what it took to start this season as badly as they did and then make it back be the seventh seed almost losing the play in and then you know he has this foot tendon issue and ad was looked like he might be out for the season at one point and just to like to i think for him to go through have some hope that he could get there again after these two years in the wilderness and then fail and to have left it all out there. Like the way he talked about it, it seemed like he was just sort of like, didn't, it didn't seem like some calculating thing that he was saying. I mean, maybe he had thought he was going to say that beforehand or whatever, just to put pressure on him. Like, I I don't know that for sure, but my thought was, it's just an emotional feeling after, uh, after a, a playoff loss. I know LeBron is known for like his, intentional media manipulation. I just didn't think it just didn't feel like that to me. Maybe I'm being naive there. Right. And you also wonder about the emotion of Carmelo Anthony retiring too, which was, I think that was the question that sort of precipitated all this. Uh, Well, yeah, he was asked about that earlier and then he was asked to assess his own season was ultimately the, what got there but Dan actually made an interesting point he said hey given where the Lakers got was it a failure to not use that second round pick or, or that second first round pick they could have or like make the 2027 unprotected and get even even more help depends what that could have gotten them sure. right if it could have yeah, gotten them Bogdanovich from Detroit instead of Malik Beasley I don't know maybe Kyrie Irving well I don't would, would that have helped <laughs> uh the team that got him went seven and fifteen. That yeah, wasn't because he played badly. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think though it's that was just an interesting because we, I like given what there was at the time, there was no way of knowing they were going to get to this point. Like I thought it actually was a good balance to to make that trade. And the, the Hachimura trade was a really good one too. He obviously helped them a ton. Well, think about so. this: they traded. They got three seconds for Thomas Bryant and turned them into Rui Hachimura. Well, no, Hachimura came first, but the, then they replenished. Theoretically, okay, they I, I, they weren't the exact same three seconds. I understand that. But, like, j- just that that fact is, I mean, that's some ski-mask stuff. <laughs> hey, Thomas Bryant would be a great fit back in L.A. at the minimum as a backup center next year. <laughs> that's, that is the all-time worst trade request ever. <laughs> Yeah, and I think like for for the Lakers too, it wasn't with LeBron with a AD and and their potential for injury risk. Like at the at the point they made those trades, like AD was like just coming back. It was I think it, giving up more than they did wouldn't have made sense. I thought they got really good value on the yeah. guys that they. Uh, now I, I think the biggest thing you could say was 
an issue was just getting Russell instead of Conley. That's what that's where I would say their biggest mistake. Possibly. I mean, R- Russell played fairly well the first two rounds, though, I'll say. Did he play that well in the in the Memphis series? There were games where I think he was kind of not like he was just in he was in and out. Like he was really more of like a sixth man. And of yeah. course he was terrible in the Nuggets series. Like it just it's so hard when you don't have like you have a guard who just can in the playoffs who just cannot follow someone around the screen. And then like I thought Russell <laughs> also like they got lucky that Clay Thompson just sucked in that Warriors series because like if he had been hitting shots like they were able to put Russell on Clay and Clay got a ton of open shots they just missed him. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, anything else uh, on your mind here before we go? You got like a couple more minutes. I don't think so. You know, I spent a couple days at the draft combine and. I'm- I'm not sure I have any huge news from that. I mean, I got to evaluate a bunch of players, most of whom will probably be taken in the second round because those are the ones who did the on-court workouts. Was there much talk about the changes that are coming for next year? Well, yeah, the deeper you were into the tax, the more talk there was. Uh, So those tax-paying teams are definitely nervous and studying this, this new agreement and trying to figure out what this second apron really means. So yeah, there's been a lot of discussion about that and how that might change the league. And I would say there's been a lot of discussion about kind of these blockbuster trades and whether teams are going to continue to put unprotected picks out there in the future or whether the experience of, say, Phoenix and especially Minnesota is going to be sobering for people. The other thing I would say, too, is we've seen two years in a row now making that trade at midseason. It's just so hard to, like, really win a championship adding, like, that kind of a piece with 20 games left. So maybe Phoenix would have been better if KD hadn't gotten hurt immediately. Like, the Harden trade, then the, the KD trade this year, it's just not only in terms of building the continuity, but just filling in pieces around them, which you can, when you know that that's what your roster is going to be, then you can get some time to evaluate the team. You can sign some guys in the offseason that fit around there. And then you can also use the trade deadline and buyout season, assuming you're not over the first apron, to yeah. supplement around that that group so much more easily when you have a whole season. Like Phoenix, they just, they clearly, I mean, even with KD and Booker, they just didn't have enough around them to ultimately be competitive uh, with Denver, who uh, is like the continuity team. Yeah. Um, what about in terms of just the changes that are coming to the combine itself next year? Is you know, I, I, not really. I mean, teams are excited that everyone has to do the medical. I mean, no, no question. That was by far the biggest thing. I don't think it's really going to change the on-court part much, but getting the medical from everybody was just a, a slog for the teams and kind of an unnecessary hoop to jump through. And, it's, and from a fan perspective, it's not really going to change anything. Yeah, I saw Jeremy Wu and Gavoni wrote a piece about just how annoying all of the agent pro days that were set up were. Oh, I so I yeah, you feel like you have to go to those things, and there's there ninety percent of them are a waste of time. So it it also, is. So they are they are eliminated as of this new CBA. Uh oh, they they just wiped out the pro days entirely. Yeah, the, it's all got to just be like, yeah, you can't do agent pro days anymore. It's either going to be like private workouts at team facilities or it's going to be more one-stop shopping type of thing. I think there's going to be like one at, don't quote me on this because I, I just, I didn't take notes on this, but it's, uh, as I was reading the term sheet, there's going to be like one in Chicago and then like one later on the West Coast or something where all the agents have to bring their guys. Like it's not going to just be, you know, 18 different ones of these for like all the different agencies. Like, yeah. Do that, that 
Yeah, that, that'll be nice. that would be amazing. Yeah, no, that'd be amazing. Yeah, yeah. All right, I think we are done here. Thanks so much for listening. If you are not a Dunked on Prime subscriber, please join us. Uh, you can, of course, uh, get every episode of John and me. You can get wrap ups of every single playoff game with me and Danny. You're going to get our mock off season, which is coming up in about a month as well. Draft analysis, uh, of course, uh, the analysis of every single signing, every single trade in free agency. So a great time to be a Dunked on Prime subscriber and we're going to be offering a, a special year subscription rate in honor of that mock-off season and uh hope to see you there on dunked on prime talk to y'all soon at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.